So we're looking this morning at Genesis chapter 11. Now the last time I spoke, I spoke about Noah. And how God had used Noah to save humanity from God's judgment. A judgment that his righteousness demanded that he bring. And we saw how when God brings judgment, he always provides a way of escape with it. So in this next major event in history, we're going to see how God brought judgment of a different kind, with a difference. Now, the events of chapter 11 probably take place before the events of chapter 10. As I said last time, sometimes the Bible explains, gives you an overview of what happened, and then goes back a little bit to give you the details. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 11. And we're just going to look, to begin with, at the first nine verses. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not be able to understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now it starts off by saying, the whole world had one language and one common speech. Well, that's not surprising, is it? Because they're all descendants of Noah. They're all the family of Noah and his sons. The interesting thing is, they all still lived extraordinarily long lives, as the chart up there will show you. So during that time, they had a lot of children, they spread out. After a few generations, population pressure probably would have made them spread out a bit, and they followed the plains. Noah's sons were in all likelihood an agricultural, agrarian people, so they would have followed the plains out. And it says, the people spread out from Ararat into the plain of Shinar, which is the green bit up there. That roughly corresponds to Mesopotamia, which means between the two rivers, in other words, modern-day Iraq. It's a rich, fertile region, got mountains to the north, deserts in the south. We don't know how long it was before the people there decided it's time to build a city. Now, whenever you get a congregation of people, it's not long before those people decide it's time to worship as a congregation. 
Now, as an aside, Satan started in the Garden of Eden with the softly, softly approach. You know how it goes. Did God really say that? Are you sure? Wouldn't you like to know about the things that God says are bad as well as the things that he says are good? Go on, take the fruit. You won't know what happens until you try. But then you'll be like God, knowing the difference between God and good and evil. And you'll know it for yourselves. Mark Twain once wrote that knowing human nature, if God had said, don't eat the snake, we wouldn't be in this mess right now. But now, beginning in a new stage, beginning in a new stage of man's history, Satan was working in the background again. Making mankind into their own gods worked out pretty well. But it wasn't as satisfying as people thought. Something's missing. So Satan decided he would provide something else for them to worship as well. Himself. So they've moved into this vast fertile plain. But they soon discovered that building there wasn't as easy as, they, as it was when they were near Ararat. For one, there's not enough stone to build with. Ordinary sun-dried bricks probably wouldn't hold up under the seasonal rains, so they developed a new technology, kiln-fired bricks. It was a vast improvement, but it was expensive, took a lot of labor, probably only used by the rich or for important buildings. We're also told that they used tar for mortar, cement. In parts of Iraq, do you know they still do? It's an easy resource to come by. In parts of Iraq, particularly up in the marshy regions, there are great tar pits. It doesn't show very well. There's a couple of people standing next to a, what looks like a large ooze of thick black mud. It's a little better. Again, the tar can be collected, it can be mixed with sand and allowed to dry. And when it hardens, it acts as a good water-resistant cement. And it's been like this for thousands of years. As you said, people still... Sweater. People still use this. So if anyone's in doubt as to the historical accuracy of the Bible, it's been proved correct time and time again. But that's the history part. So they said, come, let's build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Well, so far so good. Nothing wrong with building a city, but it's the tower that makes us want to take a second look. A tower that reaches to the heavens. So that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the whole earth. Now, 
Think about this. Did they actually think that they were going to make a tower that reached up into heaven? No, they weren't stupid. It's a figure of speech. One that we still use in a way today for any large building. We call them skyscrapers. Does this mean we think they will actually scrape the sky? No, we're not stupid. It's a description. And it's pretty much the same with them. But this one had a distinct purpose. See, this was no ordinary tower. Almost every source that I consulted when looking at this describes it as a ziggurat. A ziggurat is a little bit like a pyramid, but it's built in steps. At the top is a small shrine, or perhaps a temple, for offering gifts to the gods. Now, the name of the place is, of course, Babel. In the language that they spoke, Akkadian, it's Babel, and it means a gateway of the gods. Some of the ancient writings describe it as a set of steps to make it easy for the gods to come down to earth. The bigger it was, the more impressed the gods would be the more likely they would be to reveal themselves and grant favors and requests. We'll make a name for ourselves, the people said. We'll impress the gods by our great temple. People will come from all over the world to see us because we have impressed the gods. That is a picture of the partially restored ziggurat at Ur. It's quite impressive. You can see the man walking past on the bottom right-hand corner. That's only partially restored, and that is not the big one, which is just outside modern Babylon. So, determined to make a monument to their own glory, determined to impress the gods with their work, perhaps the gods would look after them, grant them favors. People would come to see them because they were favored by the gods. But God himself came down to see what was going on. But the Lord came down to the city and the tower that the men were building. Now God is everywhere. He came down simply means it's put into terms that we can understand. It's called anthropomorphy. That's attributing human actions to God. It simply means that God took a special interest in what was going on. That's the educational part over and done with. So God looked at them and said, if they're starting like this, where's it going to end? So let's look at the next couple of verses, seven to nine. Come. Let's go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Language and culture are very strongly linked in the Middle East. They go hand in hand. It forms 
part of people's identities. Now, although it was their language that God confused, in many ways it was also their sense of identity, their sense of community. The Bible is full of puns and plays on words, which we tend to lose because it's a translation. So the Hebrew word for confusion is balal. Babel in Akkadian is gateway of the gods, but the Hebrews caused it balel, confusion. So in confusing them, scattering them over the earth, God was preventing a further rebellion and the need for further judgment. One commentator said it's a little bit like parents separating arguing children. Sometimes you just have to do it for everyone's good. But let's look a little bit further at what's going on here. We know the story. We know a little bit of the history. We know the background. But what does it mean? What do we learn from it? We don't know how long the people of Babel spent building their city and their great tower. We can assume it probably didn't go up overnight. There was a lot of creativity and manpower that went into it. It all centered on their desire to communicate with the gods, to build up their own reputation. As a people, they didn't want to be scattered over the whole earth. They didn't want to be forgotten by the sands of time. That's understandable desire, isn't it? But they were strong, arrogant, proud. They wanted the gods to acknowledge them on their own terms. They wanted them to establish and acknowledge their reputation. They built this tower so that they could build up their own reputation, build up a name for themselves. So really, what's changed? How many corporations, big companies, conglomerations have built their own towers as a monument to their own glory. If you're impressed by our building, we must be very good at what we do, they say. And our building is very impressive, so we must be very good at what we do. They are designed to impress, to show off their wealth, to show off their power, their influence. And the people of today, we no longer worship gods of millennia ago. We worship other gods now, gods of our own making. Wealth, power, relationships, influence, opinion, fame. Speaking of which, how many people can think back, remember back to the 1980s, a certain TV program? very popular. It had a soundtrack that I think perhaps defined a generation. Look at the words. I've put them up there for you. Irene Cora defined how so many people wanted to be. Fame. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. I feel it coming together. People will see me and cry. I'm going to make it to heaven. 
light up the sky like a flame. I'm going to live forever, baby, remember my name. And now you know why I'm a drummer, not a singer. Yeah. But it's easy to make great monuments to our own fame and our own reputation. We think the world will take notice of us. We think perhaps our fame, our influence might be able to somehow impress God. We make great monuments. We make our own skyscrapers in some ways. We make these great monuments to our own endeavors. And we still build little temples or shrines up at the top. These are the places where we think we can meet with God. We offer sacrifices up there that we think will gain us favor with God. We give to charities because God likes us to help others. We look after the sick and the lonely because that makes God happy. We fight for justice because that must be what God wants. We sacrifice our time for other people because God loves sacrifice. We worship in a certain way because clearly that's how God works. We don't lie. We don't steal. But let's understand and please hear my words. None of these things are wrong by themselves. God does encourage us to look after the widow and the orphan, to love, to love justice, to love mercy, to give as we are able. But it is not these things that make us acceptable to God. None of these things will make the God of righteousness come to us. The size or the grandeur of a church building even does not make it easier for God to come and meet with us. A building does not impress the God of creation. There is nothing that we can do to impress God. We cannot make him come to us. We cannot entice him down to us with offerings. We cannot build steps up to heaven for him to come down on. You see, the fact is, God has already come down. He has lived amongst us. He has lived as one of us. He knows what it is like to be one of us. He came willingly. He was hungry. He was tired. He was sore. He had admirers. He had detractors. He ate with the rich and the poor alike. He chastised. He taught and he encouraged the rich and the poor alike. He provided a way to heaven himself for the rich and the poor alike. By being himself that one sacrifice that meant anything. Paying the penalty of sin himself for us. We 
cannot ascend to heaven through anything we have done, only through what he has already done. Let's look at what Paul the Apostle wrote in Romans chapter 10. Verse 5. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will, descend, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to go up and bring Christ down. Or, who will descend to the deep, that is, to go down and bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. If you truly believe in your heart, not just your head, that Jesus is Lord, his lordship must mean something to you. Giving to the poor looking after the sick, fighting for justice, all of these things, they are natural demonstrations of what God would do. If we do it because he has asked us to do it, then he is pleased. It's a demonstration of his love. It's not something that we do to get his love. For those ignoring God, trying to build a monument to themselves. What can we expect? Now, the people of Babylon, they certainly achieved a name for themselves, but what do we remember them for? Certainly not because they were the people to go to God. If God confused their languages. He confused their sense of community. Now, today... Community is something that we still aspire to, but seldom have. Everyone has a plan for community, unity. And dare I say, often it's those rival plans that tear us apart. As an example, capitalism tried to give everybody an opportunity to rise higher. Communism made sure that everybody got to a certain level and rose no higher. But they are all plans thought up and dreamed up by other men. If we think that we can do it, we can do it all through our own strength and our own determination, we've missed the point. Achievement, it says, you can do anything you set your mind to if you have the vision, determination, and an endless supply of expendable labor. You see, if you think that I can do it myself, 
then you don't need God. And that's a choice God takes seriously. For those who think that sincerity and good motives are all that it takes, please remember you can be sincere, but sincerely wrong, sincerely misled. Think about this. Sacrifice. All we ask here is that you give us your heart. Yes, I know it's an Incan temple, but... Back then in Babel, God confused their languages. He scattered the people so that their sin wouldn't increase. And you'd have to bring more judgment upon them. But what about today? In Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost... When God's people were all together in one place, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Each one of them spoke as the Spirit enabled them. And God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven heard them praising God in their own language. In an astounding reverse of Babel. We now have unity. People from every nation, every tribe and tongue worship God in their own language. Black, white, brown, yellow, north, south, east, west. We are all together called by his name. We are all Christian. Yes, we speak different languages, but we have the same message, don't we? Where I come from, the local language is Shona. We say, Mwari Wakanaka, God is great. In different places, we say it in different ways. Catherine, if I can start with you. In Wales, how do you say it? Thank you. Anyone else? Maria. Amen. Anyone else? Yeah. Some of the two words that I understand. Anyone else? Thank you. It's great, isn't it? So many different languages, one message. And also, as the people were scattered after Babel, under persecution in Acts chapter 8, God-fearing people were scattered throughout Judea, Samaria, and later the rest of the world. And as they went, they carried the gospel with them. The gospel was spread to the whole world. See, I want us to understand that our unity is not in our achievement. Our unity is in God's achievement in Jesus. 
Salvation is a gift. We don't have to toil and strive to make God appreciate us. You see, God already gave his life for you in Jesus. He walked amongst us as one of us. He still walks amongst us. If riches, fame, power, significant relationships are all the things that you are striving for, perhaps you're looking at the wrong God. We don't have to do. We don't have to achieve for God's kingdom. What we need to do is claim as our own his sacrifice that he already made 2,000 years ago. You don't have to be good enough so that he will come to you. He already has. No one is good enough. You see, in submission to him, he takes you to be with him. So consider, please, as I close, the monuments that we, and I include myself, have built trying to make God come down to us, trying to impress him and other people. What are they really there for? Is your laboring to get you closer to God? Are the shrines and the altars there to impress God, to entice him down, to make a name for yourselves? I'm going to close with Paul's writing to the Philippians in chapter 3. In verse 7, he says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from following the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Now the prayer team will be here afterwards. If you'd like to pray with somebody, then please be welcome to do so. But I think for many of these things, it's between you and God. There is nothing that we can do to make God more impressed or to, that God will hear us more than he will you. But if you would like to speak to somebody, the prayer team will be here. Thank you.